Welcome to an inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, lead pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire, and empower you. We're in week two of a three-week series that we've entitled The Making of Me. I've got a message in my heart that I believe today is going to be the word of the Lord into your life. And my prayer is that this simple message is going to inspire something on the inside of us that is going to last beyond today. But that this year, God is going to literally awaken something on the inside of you that is going to make you reach for Him. And I want you to know, whenever you reach for God, it is never a vain pursuit. I said, whenever you reach for God, it's never a vain pursuit. Okay, now I feel like the ground floor of the Arise Center believes me. I said, whenever you reach for God, it is not a vain pursuit. Come on. Whenever we reach for Him, the Bible is clear. You will search for me and you will find me. You will search for me, and you will find me. That's Genesis 29 verse 13. Sorry, Jeremiah. Let me get it right. Jeremiah 29 and verse 13. And I believe God's going to cause us this year to find Him in a truly incredible way. Let's read in Genesis chapter 28. We're going to start reading in verse 10. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It's good to know it's alive. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sunset, he arrived at a good place to set up camp, and he stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against, and he lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamt of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven, and he saw the angels of God going up and down on the stairway. Wow. At the top of the stairway, that's just the entree, at the top of the stairway, he saw the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather, Abraham, the God of your father, Isaac, and the ground you are lying on belongs to you. I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more? I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I'll bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. How many people think that's amazing? What blows me away when I read the Bible is how effusive God is when He speaks to us. How over-the-top crazy with His promises and His declarations of His goodness, of His character, of His will for us that He is when you see Him speak in the Bible. It leads me to believe that as a Christian, one of our greatest challenges is that we just don't expect enough from God. I will be with you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this place. I will not leave you until I have finished. Somebody needs to hear today that God hasn't left you until the work is done. God hasn't quit on you until it's finished. There is still more for you. There are greater things ahead for you. Your God is your God. Come on, if you believe that, Why don't you give your God some praise right now in every location. God is still working in my life. Come on, let me hear you if you believe it. Give your God some praise. Verse 16, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. But he also was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gateway to heaven. 
The next morning, Jacob got up early. He took the stone he had rested his head against and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured all of olive oil over it. He named that place Bethel, which means house of God, though it had previously been called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey and he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord is certainly going to be my God. It's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God, and I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. Anybody ready for God's word today? I love you guys. We're going to have a great morning. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, as this word begins to be opened up for us today, I pray that you would open our hearts, speak into our lives, change us, free us, heal us, restore us, bless us, awaken us. I bind every distraction in every auditorium. May every cell phone be supernaturally turned to flight mode. May every word of the devil be bound. May every, every bladder be stilled. May this just be 35 minutes of focus. I pray every parent with a baby that might cry would find the parents' room. I pray that, Lord, in the next 35 minutes, you would literally just have freedom to speak into our lives. We need you. We need you. We need you. We've watched 14 hours of Netflix already this week. This is the 35 minutes where eternity gets to speak into our lives. This is truly vital. This is truly an important moment. So come and have your way, we ask in Jesus' name. And if you believe every word of that prayer, why don't you give God an amen? Amen, 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 amen. If you said amen, I hope your phone's on flight mode. It's important that we remember as Christians and that we daily, I mean daily, remind ourselves that we live in a world with two realities. That there are two ways of seeing the life that we live. The way we see the world without God and the way that we see the world when awakened to God. There is a material world that you can see and there is a spiritual world that we cannot see. There is a temporal earth and there is an eternal kingdom of heaven. And for every single person on this planet, whether you believe in Jesus yet or not, it is incredibly important that we are reminded of this. The greatest force, the greatest deception, the greatest battle in the world today is to prevent us from realizing the reality of God. The devil wants nothing more than to stop you and I from realizing that God is real. To focus our entire lives on this temporal world. To anchor us in a finite existence. The devil wants to blind our minds and our hearts from seeing the true realities of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, the Bible says the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this world wants to blind your eyes so that we cannot see, so that we cannot believe. And even if you have discovered the reality of God, the central campaign against what God is wanting to do in our lives is to prevent us from living awakened and aware. The devil just wants you to live your life focused on the temporal world that is around you. The number one topic that Jesus talked about while he was on earth 
was the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Did you know that? He talked more about the world that is yet to come. He talked more about a spiritual kingdom than he talked about any other topic that he mentioned while he was here. And I want you to be reminded of that because it is important for us to realize that Jesus wants you to know there is more to your life than the material and the temporal. Because if our lives, if our perspective is limited only to what we can see around us, then our lives are going to be lived in an insignificant way. If we're only aware of the world that is around us, we're going to waste time. If we're only focused on what we can see, then we're going to underperform with the potential that God has put on the inside of us to make a difference with our lives. Come on, am I preaching to anybody today? We're going to pursue things that are material, thinking that they are the sum total of what can be pursued with our lives. We're going to prioritize things that won't make it into eternity, thinking that these are important to us, not realizing we're going to only have them with us for a short period of time. I'm not just talking here about the material world. I'm talking about, or the material things, sorry. I'm here talking about the material world. We're going to prioritize with our lives places that we've traveled and experiences that we've had and the lifestyle that we've attained to. Not realizing that none of these things count any in light of the magnitude of eternity. That none of them are going to go with us into heaven. That when we wrongly think that everything about our lives is material, we're going to waste a lot of the potential that God's given to us. You're not going to get to the gate of heaven so so glad I made it to Paris. Wow, praise God. I'm in heaven, but glad I got to kick the bucket knowing that I've been to see the Eiffel Tower. Nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to get to heaven and go, man, so glad I finally got to downsize my work week from 60 hours to 30 hours and got that lifestyle here on earth. Now I'm ready to go into heaven. Nobody's going to be thinking that. Because when we get to heaven, things that are of this earth are not going to matter. Now, I I know we need to be wise about what we do with our material lives, with this temporal earth. We've got to be careful that we do the good things with what God has given to us. And I'm not saying for a moment that I'm against all travel. I've been to a lot of places myself. And I don't think God wants you to be a workaholic either. But if you live your life, simply focus on the material world in which we live. If you make that the central pursuit or the dominant perspective that you have on life, that road will lead you to misery. You'll get to the end of your life Those of us who are 40 remember the movie Schindler's List. When he gets to the end of his incredible journey, he's like, this watch, two more. This pen, one more. If we live our lives with a dominant perspective of the temporal world in which we live, we are going to regret the life that we've lived. True wisdom can only be found in knowing what really matters and prioritizing my life in light of that. That's the only way you can live a life of wisdom. Psalm 90 verse 12. The psalmist wrote, teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. Let me know how short this life is so that I can actually be a wise person. 
Proverbs 9 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Living awakened, living in awe, the fear of the Lord, living with awe, wonder, reverence, and worship towards God is the only doorway through which we step into wisdom in our lives. Matthew 24 verse 12, Jesus said that in the last days, the love of many would grow cold. That even though you may be awakened to Jesus at one moment in your life, Jesus highlights for us himself that the love of many can grow cold. That it's possible to be a believer in Jesus and to have your life awakened to him. But over the journey of your life, to let that awakening ebb down the embers of your heart to dull down the passion that you have, the love that you have for God to diminish in your life and to be left in a place in your life where your love that was once vibrant is now cold. The goal of hell is to stop the reality of God and His kingdom from being the guiding influence over our lives. That's incredibly important that we know. The goal of hell is to stop the kingdom of God and the reality of His eternal kingdom, God's eternal kingdom, from being the guiding influence over the way that we live our lives. To dull our senses to eternity, to, live us, to lead us to live not awakened, but asleep, not engaged with eternity, but dismissive of it, and the work of Jesus in our lives is to set us up for a life lived that is worth living by helping us to see what is truly valuable and important in our lives. Jacob. Jacob is an incredibly important character in the Bible. He is the grandson of Abraham. His father is Isaac. Genesis 22. Isaac is the kid that was laid on the altar. And out of that, God said, now I know that you really love me. And out of that, he was given such a promise and a destiny. Abraham and Isaac are his father and his grandfather. But now we've got this kid by the name of Jacob. And when we dive into Jacob's life, in our passage, he has left Beersheba and he's on his way to Haran. Now, I wish I had time to, to break this down for you, but Beersheba means well of the sevenfold oath and Haran means dried up or parched. So he is leaving a place that is a well, a wellspring, a life-giving place, and he is heading to Haran, which means dry or parched. I want you to understand, he is leaving where God wanted Israel to be. Beersheba is in Israel. It is in the promised land. He is leaving the promised land, and he is going back to the place God called Abraham out of. He is going from blessing back to a place of hardship. I need you to know that there will be moments in your life where God is going to... Your journey towards your destiny is not a straight line. I want you to remember that Jesus spent his first few years of living in Egypt, not in Israel, but to protect him from, uh, from, from the guy's name is Pilate, in order to protect him from, from Herod, that's the one, from Herod, in order to protect him from Herod, Jesus grew up in Egypt. And sometimes God is going to lead you away from blessing to a place of hardship, but only ever to protect you. If you're in a place in your life that is difficult, if you're in a place that is dry or barren, and you're like, where is God? 
just consider maybe this is not happening to you but for you. Jesus left Israel and went to Egypt. The tribe of Jacob or Israel went down to Egypt. We discover all through the scriptures that people are led from blessing to places of hardship so that God can keep them safe for a season. I want you to consider that maybe the hardship you're in the middle of is not God forgetting you, but God protecting you because God has still got a great work He wants to do in your life. He's just getting you ready for what is to come. So Jacob is on his way from Beersheba down to Haran. He is the grandson of Abraham. And this destiny is literally now entrusted to him. The journey began with Abraham. Leave your people, your nation, your father's family, and I am going to make you into a great nation of people. I'm going to change the world through you. Abraham didn't know it, but the nation of Israel was going to come through him. Destiny was on Abraham's shoulders. That destiny then fell to Isaac, and the destiny was on Isaac's shoulders. And Jacob is now the one who has the family birthright. The destiny lives on Jacob's shoulders. But Jacob, in our passage, is in a dangerous place. A dangerous place. Why? Because the destiny is on him, but the destiny is not alive in him. He has received his faith through education from his father. Write this down. Think about it. A faith that is the result of education and not encounter will always be in jeopardy. A faith that is the result of education and not encounter will always be in jeopardy. What you are living in simply because you've heard it, but not because you've experienced it, won't stand when you leave Beersheba and you go to Haran. When you're in the difficult place, that's when what is in you comes out of you. Christians aren't seen when life is good they look the same as everybody else christians are seen when life is hard because that's when what is in me is going to come out of me the destiny is on jacob but it isn't alive in jacob i want you to understand my friend that there is not a person under the sound of my voice for whom god does not have a calling over your life There is potential in you, destiny in you. God has uniquely attributed gifts and talents to you. Your life matters for God. You're alive for a reason. You can and you will change the world for God. But just because that destiny is on you, it doesn't mean it's alive in you either. What is most central to Jacob's calling and destiny is not central to his life. So in our passage of Scripture, God decides to introduce Jacob and to introduce himself. So Jacob goes to sleep. He's on a journey. We don't know how many days he is into the journey, but Jacob goes to sleep. And while Jacob is asleep, he has this incredible vision. He sees a stairway reaching to heaven. Some translations call it a ladder, but it's better translated as stairway. I think that's important because it's not an old wooden couple of slats with rusty, you know, like you see... And someone's, you know, on the roof of a truck or something like that, rolling around town, coming to fix your spouting. It's not a ladder. Think stairway. Think ornate. Think splendid. Think majestic. Stairways were uncommon in this day and age. 
maybe even unheard of for Jacob. He'd probably never seen one before. But here he is, and he sees this stairway. And the stairway, as he looks at the stairway, he sees angels, the angels of God ascending and descending on top of that stairway. And then at the top of the stairway, he sees the Lord. He sees the Lord. He is just traveling through the journey of his life. And suddenly, he is caught in a moment where he's standing under an open heaven. He is in the literal presence of God. He is in awe and in wonder as the temporal kingdom is peeled back and the spiritual eternal kingdom of God is revealed. You know what isn't described in this passage? is how Jacob felt. What's fortunate for us is that whenever people saw the Lord in Scripture, other cases are given. And Isaiah describes what he felt. Because he says, I saw the Lord, and he was seated upon his throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. Glory. He said, what I experienced in that moment I call glory, awe, wonder. To have my emotions fixated on a moment, that's glory. To have my life enraptured with such splendid beauty, that's glory. To have my perspective on what is really, really important radically altered in a single moment of time. That's glory. To be in God's glory is to be overwhelmed by the moment. It's to be saying to myself, this God, this majesty, this closeness, this is what really matters in life. And all of the other things that I prioritize in my life are literally dulled in comparison to the wonder of what I'm experiencing right now. That's what Jacob was having in this moment. Being in the presence of God, my friends, it changes you. It frees you. It heals you. It awakens you. When you're in the literal presence of God, in the glory of God, you realize that so many of the things you've been living for up until this moment have such little consequence. When I discover the reality of what I'm standing in right now, and then, as if this is not enough, God begins to speak. He has a conversation with God. And in this one conversation, God gives context to all of his life. I want you to know that all it can take, honestly, in your life is one moment in the presence of God and everything about your journey, who you are and where God wants you to go, that you've been so confused about, that you've been so dramatized and puzzled by all your life can suddenly make sense when you're in the presence of God. His past. The opening sentence God says to him is, I am the God of your grandfather Abraham. I'm the God of your father Isaac. In other words, this journey that you're on, I was there all along. When you're in the presence of God, your past begins to make sense. There are people that are literally like, where was God when? What happened to me when? Why would this happen to me? I don't know why I had to go through that. When you're in the presence of God, God makes sense of your yesterdays. The second thing God does is he makes sense of his present. 
He says he awakens him to awe and wonder in the moment. God literally says to him, the ground that you are lying on belongs to you. When you're in the presence of God, God um, um, doesn't just awaken a sense of calling and destiny. When you're in the presence of God, the moment that you're in right now becomes tremendously important. Today matters. You're awakened to the life that you're living, the people that are around you, the attendant in your gas station. You suddenly see the life you're living in a whole new way. And your future, God said to him, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the dust of the earth. Here's a banger for you. The whole world, the whole world, Jacob, is going to be blessed through you. God comprehends his entire life in one moment of time. And that's why, my friend, I believe God wants you and I to have moments where we are in the presence of Jesus. Because when we are in the presence of Jesus, it changes everything. It awakens us to see. It transforms our perspectives. It peels back the layers of this world. It stops us from being blinded to what really matters. We need to be awakened to the wonder of God. Come on, if you believe that every campus, take three seconds, put your hands together, and give your God some praise if you believe this is true. I mean, when you think about Jacob, everything about his life was changed in this one moment. There was a before and an after. I mean, before and an after. Before this moment, Jacob, Jacob, before this moment, had a family religion. After this moment, he had a living relationship. Before this moment, he was an individual. I get very concerned when I find a Christian who thinks that they are a standalone unit. After this moment, he identified himself as a follower of Jesus. Before this moment, he thought that he was in this life doing it all alone. After this moment, he realized God was with him. God was for him. God was working on his behalf. Before this moment, he was aware of his treachery and of his sinfulness. I want to land that one. If you're not living out of personal awakening, you're probably far too aware of the things that are wrong with you. When you're in the presence of God, you'll feel convicted of your sin. Absolutely. He is a holy God. But you'll shift the way you live. Up until this moment, Jacob was aware. I mean, his name is Deceiver. Rewind. Go back to next last week. Get it on YouTube. But from this moment of time, he was aware that God had a calling, a passion, and a destiny over him. Years of instruction won't deliver that. I can't educate you to a place where you know who you are in Christ. It takes something extra. Some things you need to hear from yourself. Some aspects of our faith only work when it's communication between you and Jesus. That's why in 2021, here to rise, we've called this year the year of personal awakenings. The reason why is that I believe God is wanting every single Christian to live their life not with dead religion or a benign semblance of Christianity that is in your life. Like I go to church on Sunday and 
We say grace at our dinner table and I tell people in my workplace that I'm a church-going Christian. That's not what God wants. I mean, it's better than being a pagan, I guess. But what God wants for every believer is to have the, the, the layers of deception and fraud and darkness that the kingdom of the devil is trying to bring around your life broken off and for us to live our lives awakened and aware of the eternal kingdom of God and of the reality of Jesus. That's what God wants for every single one of us. I wish I could convey to you accurately the depth with which I believe that every Christian is supposed to live their life from a place of personal awakening. If you were to break me down and open me up, this is at the core of everything that I believe, that Christianity is supposed to be alive in me. Romans 12, 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Hebrews 12, 29, our God is a consuming fire. He dries up, he burns up the dross. He removes the chaff. He gets rid of the impurity. He fills my life with zeal and passion and fire for the kingdom of God. Let me just tell you, friends, zeal is not a fashion accessory. We shouldn't look at some Christians and say, yeah, they're really zealous for God, like it's a bracelet or a pair of Nikes. Zeal is a state of living your life awakened to the awe, the wonder, and the reality of God. And that is what God wants for every single one of us. God is wanting His church to live awakened and aware. I believe this with all my heart. That God doesn't want you and I dulled in our spiritual senses. He doesn't want us dismissive of the things of heaven. He doesn't want us going through the motions of religion when there isn't any fire living in the inside of us. God wants us awakened. God wants us aware. God wants your attention heightened. God wants you to see Him for who He really is. Last summer, not the one that we're in right now, but last summer, the summer of 2019 coming into 2020, most of our church family know, but I had to take some time off and just walk, work my way through some fatigue. And I'm so grateful for that season because stuck at home with just me for, you know, my favorite months of the year, the summer, meant that I just had lots and lots of time to seek God. And three times during the season that I was off work, I had amazing encounters with Jesus. Moments where he was just right there. And in those moments, things change. I want to describe it. When you're in the presence of God, time stops. Time, it just stops. You spend your evening in worship. Then look at your watch and go, holy cow. That wasn't just one worship song in 10 minutes. That was just, I was lost in it. I was going to pray and then do something. Now I just did this for the whole night. Time stops when you're in the presence of God. Agendas go. When you're not in the presence of God, you have an agenda in your heart, like you're part of it. You might even be a Christian or a believer, but really, you've got your own passion, your own direction, your things you want God to do in your life. When you're in the presence of God, you're just like, flag that, I want this. When you're in the presence of God, freedom comes. The appetites of your flesh just diminish. The lusts of the eyes, the desires of life, the things of this world that enslave and ensnare are just freed off you as you realize they just don't matter because this is Jesus. I have what I want. 
When you're in the presence of God, you become willing. Isn't it amazing how Isaiah, we've already talked about him once, but if you've never read it, just go home and read it. It's in Isaiah chapter 8. But the Bible says that he's in the glory of God. And then the Bible says that the Lord begins to speak to himself. The Trinity's having its own little conversation. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah just says, I'll go. You get willing to do what God wants you to do when you're in the presence of God. Jacob wakes up and he just goes, this place is amazing. This place is incredible. He's awakened to the wonder of where he is. His address doesn't change. His zip code isn't different. We say postcode in New Zealand. He doesn't wake up and have a better house, different car, different wife. He is just awakened to awe and wonder in the moment because the blinders, the deception, the lust, the craving, the passion, the discontentment, all the pornography, all the, all the consumerism, the excessive materialism, the, the envy, the bitterness, the covetousness that is so prevalent in our culture, it just gets stripped away when you're standing in the presence of God. Without a personal awakening, we live for what is in front of us. We drift away from obedience to God and to His will. The further we drift away from being awakened to God, the more we justify. If you're trying to identify whether you're living awakened to God, just ask yourself, are you justifying new things in your life? When you, what do I mean by justify? We lower our commitment. Jacob woke up and he said, God is going to be my God. Awakening encounter awakens commitment. You get awakened and you get committed. And if you're becoming a once a month Christian or a like, I'll just watch online and when it's convenient, I might roll up to a service kind of Christian, then I just want to challenge you. Maybe you've lost your awakening, so you've lost your commitment. We increase our compromise. We justify more. When you've lost your awakening, you justify more and we increase our compromise. Oh, come on, there are people literally hearing this message, and it started for you one glass of wine a month. Date night, special thing. Then it became one glass of wine a week, one with every meal, two with every meal. And now your behavior, you're a Christian, but your behavior is more akin to an alcoholic than a follower of Jesus. Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine, it'll ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, if you're not awakened to God, you're going to crave things to replace that which you've lost. I'm not here to preach against alcohol. I'm just saying if you're increasing your compromise, it's a sign that you've lost your awakening. The third thing that happens to us is we don't want to serve and give anymore. When you have drifted away from your awakening, you justify more and you don't want to serve and you don't want to give. Notice the very first thing that Jacob did when he woke up. He goes, all right, I'm going to get this sorted in my life. From this moment forward, everything God gives me, I'm going to give him a tenth. I'm awakened to God. I'm going to sort this tithing thing out. I'm going to get it right in my life. We don't want to give when we lose our encounter. We don't want to serve. Coming out of COVID, too many Christians are saying, I don't want to serve. I just really want to get my lifestyle sorted out. You may be working too hard, but before you judge your lifestyle, before you quit your service, delete your apps. 
before you quit on the little portion of your time that you dedicate to making an eternal difference in the world, get rid of Facebook, get rid of Netflix, get rid of Instagram, get rid of Prime Video, I don't know, Disney Plus. Get rid of everything else in your life that is consuming hours and hours and hours and then decide whether you have time to serve the Lord. But if you don't want to serve the Lord anymore, if that's where it's at, if you don't want to serve any God anymore, then ask yourself your question, have you still got God in your life? Remember about Joseph and Mary that they were literally entrusted to carry Jesus with them and they lost Jesus. One job, the Son of God is yours to raise. And the Bible tells us that after going to church, they went home and spent an entire day. Come on, I've driven away from the church car park and one of my kids has been stuck back here at the Arise Center. But I have never lost the Son of God for an entire, literal Son of God for an entire day. But the Bible says they get to a moment where they have to ask themselves in their life, is Jesus with us? Friends, my prayer is that we would get to a point right here, right now, this very day, where we would go deep inside ourselves and ask ourselves the question, not was Jesus with you, not did you have a living relationship with Jesus, but right now on this very day, Valentine's Day 2021, is Jesus alive with me? Is he living in me? Am I living my life not out of a memory of who he was, but out of a living moment? Am I personally awakened to Jesus in February of 2021? Because my friend, I believe with all my heart, God doesn't want you living your life a lackluster Christianity. God doesn't want you with a benign kind of faith. God doesn't want you living your life pursuing material things that are just going to be taken from you when the end of the age comes. God wants you living awakened, aware, knowing who He is, having the layers of this world roll back so that truth can be revealed, perspective can come, the light of Christ can shine, and we can see ourselves as God wants us to see ourselves ourselves and the world that is around us come on every campus if you believe what I'm saying why don't you give your God about five seconds of praise all over every room right now stand to your feet stand to your feet every single person stand to your feet every single person all over every campus the bands are going to come and join me do your best to do so with minimal distractions worship team because I want to hone our attention in this one moment look at me look at me look at me look at the screen every location where you are online look at me right now if you need an awakening for God, to God in your life, ask for one. If you need an awakening in your life, ask for one. That's my point. That's all the application point you're going to get. Because Jesus said, if you fathers have a kid that asks you for bread, you won't give them a stone. And if they ask you for water, you're not going to give them a scorpion. If you earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? If you need a personal awakening, Jesus could not have been more explicitly clear. If 
you ask, you're going to receive. And he didn't even make it vague. A personal awakening to God. The presence of the Holy Spirit is going to come to you in your life. Ask him. Ask him. Ask him. If you start asking, God won't leave you there very long. He won't leave you there very long. And let me give you a key. The longer the delay, the more important the arrival. The longer you have to wait, the more significant it's going to be when it gets there. I teach my kids this. It's called delayed gratification. In an instant generation, we're not in touch with it. They're like, buy me, buy me, buy me. I'm like, save, save, save. Because if you work for it, it's going to mean much more. Ask him. Revelation 3, I stand at the door and I knock. If you'll open, I'll come in. If you ask me, I'm right there. Jeremiah 29, 13, we started with it and we closed with it. If you seek me, you will find me. I left a bit out. If you search for me with all your heart. If you really want Jesus, you're going to find him. Close your eyes, empty canvas. Lord, in this moment, this place and this time I believe you are awakening us this is the year of personal awakenings our spiritual senses become dull because the devil knows that that's all he needs to do in order to really have his way to minimize our impact oh we still go to heaven but we just don't make a difference while we're here on earth but God I'm praying for something different for your people today awaken us let us live for you. Free us from the chains. Man, I feel the Holy Spirit's presence. I feel the Holy Spirit's presence. I literally see dried up wells. There are many, many Christians hearing this message. At a youth camp, at a moment in your life, your worship was vibrant. The zeal for the Lord was strong. But God's used this moment and this message to help you to see that someone dammed up your well. Now God is just opening up that wellspring of life and of worship and of surrender on the inside of you. Come, Lord Jesus. Come move in this place. We thank you that you are here. We give you all the glory and all the praise in your mighty name. Amen. Hey, our amazing online family. Man, we love you all so much. I'm praying for everybody. I know that there are so many nations right now that are heading back into COVID lockdowns, maybe even people watching this in Melbourne right now in the middle of a big lockdown. I know so many countries that is getting really hit by COVID and wherever you are, I firstly just pray that you're safe, that you're doing well, that God is moving in your life. And I just pray that this message has been an inspiration for us to help us to realize that of all the things that are going on in our lives and in our world, nothing matters more than our connection to God and the reality of His kingdom. And I'm just praying that something's been awakened in you today. Um, listen, we really care about you. We hope that you're doing good. And I pray that you'll take this message and just really think about it. Uh, how did, I got a wonderful summer last summer of just really being in a place of encounter. And you know what? Man, I feel like God's just speaking to me right now in this car, just saying there are some people, and you're saying about this 
the latest set of COVID restrictions and lockdowns and the loneliness and the isolation, you've been saying to God, God, where are you in the middle of this? Well, maybe God's led you from Beersheba to Haran because right now in this COVID season, he's actually wanting to do something very personal, very powerful in your life in this moment of time. So take this season and just say, God, I'm asking, draw closer to me, be present in my life, move in my world. I love you and I thank you that you're real and you're moving. That's going to be my prayer for you. So join us back next week. So excited about part three. I cannot wait to share part three of this series, The Making of Me. And then the week after that, my Lord, I, we got an important series uh, called Labels that we're going to be launching that week. And it's going to be so awesome. I really do believe it's going to be powerful. But next week, make sure you join us back for part three of The Making of Me. We love your online family. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, make sure you sign up for our podcast. And we'd love to help you in any way that we can. We'll see you soon. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and Pastor John Cameron, visit arisechurch.com or connect with us on Instagram at Arise Church and at John Cameron NZ.